You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Yeah, an extra hour of The Big Show. I'm Patrick Dumas. Got Alex Brody alongside me as well here. One more hour to go here on The Big Show. And we're in the uh, Doug Lacey Basement Systems hot mall studio, I should say. Uh, Worried about radon? We install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. And uh, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to uh, welcome Justin Dunk from Three Down Nation. The first guest on the fourth hour of the big show. Justin, congrats on that. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, yes. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, how you doing? How's the, how's the new year been for you? It's been great, man. I was actually recently out in your guys' neck of the woods at yes. the winter meetings in beautiful Kananaskis Village. Got a little snowboarding in too, man. So life's great. Awesome. What about you, fellas? Oh hell, it's been all right. Been pretty quiet. Just uh, actually got back from Regina here, uh, visiting some friends. So out in the prairies, and that kind of got me wondering with some CFL. We're about a month out from free agency, and we had some news over the weekend as uh, Nathan Rourke uh, says his goodbye to the CFL for at least right now uh, as he signs with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I believe that was 12 teams he ended up working out with, but goes to Jacksonville. Uh, Henry Burris is down there as well. We all know Doug Peterson does with quarterbacks, but how did uh, how did the Nathan Rourke signing in Jacksonville uh, come uh, come to be? It really came at the start of the process when Jacksonville was a favorite from the get-go, and no other NFL team could jump them in that process because they showed strong interest from the beginning. This is after the CFL season was over when Rourke shifted his focus. They brought him down to Jacksonville, and pretty much everybody associated with the organization that has any kind of power Doug Peterson and the entire coaching staff were there to witness his workout. He didn't actually talk to Peterson that day, but he spent a lot of time with quarterbacks coach Mike McCoy, who's been around for a long time as well, respected in the NFL. And yes, Henry Burris is there. And of course, as an advocate of CFL players and a big fan of Nathan's work and believes in him because we got to remember here that Burris has his job on the line, right? If he's going to say like, let's bring this kid yeah. in, we think he could be good. That's not Hank being a super fan of the CFL. That's Hank believing that Rourke can actually be really good in the NFL. So that was certainly a factor, but Rourke really felt like the Jaguars wanted to see him succeed, that they were going to help him develop, learn the NFL game, flourish in Doug Peterson's offensive system. And he really believes he can learn from Trevor Lawrence. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people were saying, well, why is he going to be behind Lawrence? Well, this is just the first step in Rourke's mind and in my mind as well of his NFL career. He wanted to go to a place that wasn't going to have turnover. And you know, with Trevor Lawrence there, and especially with the big jump he took in year two in the playoff win last week, Mm -hmm. that this regime is going to be there for a while. So he can learn, flourish, get some great game film, ideally in the preseason, and perhaps entice some other NFL teams to come trade for him. And Rourke, uh, during the awards in Regina, he had, um, he had a conversation with the, the last CFL quarterback to have a, a decent shot down in the NFL to maybe have a chance. That was Bo Levi Mitchell, who obviously didn't have a chance to sign with the Minnesota Vikings because they didn't really have a a legitimate chance for him to compete there for a role. Uh, But, you know, Mitchell went down there at 28. Rourke's going down to the NFL at 24. That's a big difference too, eh? 
It really is. It helps Rourke get this process going earlier. And he told me in the chat that I had with him for over 30 minutes right after he decided that he was going to sign with the Jaguars that he felt like he needed to get down there now and that another season in the CFL was not going to help him in terms of the NFL. And I totally agree with him. And I think he would have took a lot of knowledge and advice away from that conversation with Bo Levi Mitchell because Bo Levi didn't feel like he was going to get a legit opportunity to compete to be the backup or see a pathway to potential playing time because the Vikings had invested so much money, rightly or I think kind of wrongly, in Kirk Cousins. I think if you put Bo Levi Mitchell on the Vikings, that he would be a better leader and Minnesota would be a better franchise than with Kirk Cousins. But there's a lot of Americans and probably people in the building there in Minnesota that get paid by the Vikings that wouldn't agree with me, but at least Mitchell could hand down that advice mm-hmm. and work could have it going into his situation. As you mentioned, being younger is critical, but I think Rourke realized that if he's going to have that opportunity to one day be an NFL starter, and that is Rourke's stated goal that he needs to get down there and build equity in the NFL, because as much as we love the CFL up here, guys, it's viewed much differently from the lens of these NFL people. Uh, a quarterback, uh, th- this one, uh, it's obviously good news to seeing how his health is. Is Jeremiah Masoli signing a contract extension with the Ottawa Red Blacks? We know, uh, obviously, what happened with Garrett Marino last year, his injury. Uh, you know, maybe a lot of thought that, you know, would Jeremiah get back to where he was in years past? But Ottawa's obviously given him another vote of confidence as he's going to be leading the Red Blacks as they try and get out of these doldrums that they've been in the last few years. Definitely. I think Masoli. I can help them do that. We saw what he was able to do, build a report quickly there with a lot of new receivers that he didn't know. Yes, Jalen Acklin, he was familiar with from their time together in Hamilton. But it was the leadership aspect. Bob Dice, the Mm -hmm. new head coach, admitted that when Masoli wasn't around, maybe some players there in the Ottawa locker room lost a little bit of confidence. So they're committed to Jeremiah Masoli. A big part of that is because Sean Burke, the general manager, spent a lot of time watching his development and rise with the Tiger Cats, and he really believes in his leadership. So Masoli was actually due a $100,000 roster bonus on January 15th. He gets that bonus because he can't cut an injured player. He's still rehabbing from that major leg injury that he sustained after taking that shot from Garrett Marino. And I don't think that's been talked about enough. I mean, he's going to be fully healthy and doing quarterback drills well before training camp. So he'll be back ready to go. But It was scary right after that injury happened. There were some people that feared that Masoli might not necessarily be able to play again. Like, that's how serious that leg injury Mm -hmm. was. Now, Masoli's a warrior. He's worked back from it, and he's going to be the guy that's the face of the franchise in Ottawa, at least for the next couple of years, if not longer. Uh, another quarterback, uh, Bo Levi Mitchell, he, uh, with uh, him and Hamilton, the rights are now in Hamilton. Are the chances that he's going to test free agency here in the next month, or is Hamilton have some confidence that he will be their quarterback next year? The Ticats do have some confidence, and they brought him in for a visit in December before the holidays, wanted him to try to get familiar with the city and then obviously the organization and the facilities there that they have at Tim Horton's field, and it was mm-hmm. information gathering on both sides. I spoke to Orlando Steinauer one-on-one at the league's winter meetings out there in Kananaskis, and you got the sense that when he's talking about it that the Ticats are optimistic that they can get him under contract. They're still working on it is the categorization that 
Steinauer told to me in terms of getting Bo Levi Mitchell to sign a contract extension there. It seems weird to say Mitchell signing a contract extension in Hamilton. So let's just say signing with the Ticats because he never actually played with them. But the key here, guys, is the fact that Hamilton traded for his rights means that the Tiger Cats can now, in this new collective bargaining agreement, guarantee half of his base salary in the final year of this contract. That is a major factor here, that if Bolivar Mitchell does indeed want to go to free agency, and I know he said it publicly, that he's not going to have that ability if he signs with a different team. So I think that plays a major factor. That's a key leverage point for the Tiger Cats. But Bo Levi Mitchell, you guys well know, is going to make a smart, sound decision because it's not just him going to play for Hamilton. He has a family, he has a wife, yep. he has a couple daughters. He wants to make sure that they're comfortable with all of their surroundings and that he makes a smart, holistic decision. What happens with Dane Evans if Mitchell does sign there as, as the new starter in Hamilton? Dane Evans owed a lot of money, signed a big contract last year. We saw his inconsistent play, admittedly, that he was at fault in some of these uh, Hamilton Tiger Cat losses for sure. What happens with Dane Evans uh, as uh, if Bo Levi does sign in Hamilton? And to me, that's an easy one. Either he gets traded or the Tiger Cats release him. Okay. Hamilton doesn't actually owe him any money mm-hmm. okay. in that contract right now until training camp. It's a training camp report and pass bonus. So I would imagine there would be some teams interested in trading for him. But what oftentimes happens in the CFL is if the Tiger Cats, let's say, do sign Bully by Mitchell, then they're going to know that, well, they're not going to be able to keep Dane Evans at over $400,000 on the salary cap, right? So they might wait until... Evans gets released and then sign a contract with him where you don't have to give up any assets and maybe you can get him at a more of a bargain rate because his season last year wasn't that great. The team that I think could go after him if this scenario plays out that way is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I've been told by people in the building there that Kelly Jeffrey, the new offensive coordinator, likes Dane Evans and there are reasons to like him, but he has to stop with those critical turnovers and the one potentially super stat or meaningless number to steal from my man Tim McAuliffe Tim and friends. He actually had a higher quarterback rating than Bully by Mitchell last year for whatever that's worth. Well, there you go. Uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, they keep this band together. Jackson Jeffcoat resigns. Adam Big Hill's back. Willie Jefferson's back. Uh, is this just more just like this is a team that can still win a great cup or is it just like eh, you want to maybe see a little bit change or is it just getting too old it's just eh, they just love staying in Winnipeg and that's where they want to be it's a good coach good crew right there and also what's happening anymore I know there was some noise with the GM stuff with Kyle Walters and Wade Miller and and what what's going on there so first I'll start with the players and mm-hmm. Michael Shea the head coach there likes continuity right and the Bombers have shown that They're going to reward their star players as much as they can under the salary cap, but also have the conversations with them to understand that if you stay here, you can be part of something special. You can build a legacy that will last beyond your playing career in terms of being part of this potential dynasty. And I say potential because I think they need to get one more Grey Cup three and four years. I think you can dub the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as a dynasty. So they've kept Zach Caleros. They've made him the highest paid player in the league the last couple of seasons. Or sorry, I should say last season. And then going into the 2023 season, he'll be the highest paid player in the league. They've really made Winnipeg feel like home for mm-hmm. Willie Jefferson. And he's continued to show that he's a game wrecker. And Jackson Jeffcoat on the other edge gives them still the best pass rushing tandem in the CFL. So even though they've kept their star guys, and you mentioned 
Adam Big Hill in there as well. The offensive line has stayed together. Yeah, stay there has been it. some turnover, right? Yeah. They didn't have the funds to re-sign Kenny Lawler for what he wanted, so they decided to go and develop some other receivers, and here comes Dalton Show, yeah. right? And then you look at defensive back. They didn't have the money to pay some of those guys in the back end what they wanted, so those guys left, and they come up with DeAlford, who's now playing in the NFL, or Winston Rose comes back from the NFL on a bit of a bargain deal and plays really well for them. Well, they have Deatric Nichols, who some people felt like should have been in the conversation for most outstanding defensive player last year. So they've been able to develop and replace those guys that have decided to take more money, but kept that key core together of leaders. Zach Caleros on offense, Adam Big Hill on defense, and obviously we talked about Jefferson and Jeff Coat. And then as far as it goes with Kyle Walters, the general manager in his contract, this has never happened throughout the nearly 10 years that Walters and O'Shea have been together. It's kind of crazy that it's been that long yeah. in Winnipeg. Yeah. They're going into their 10th season together. And the other two times that they signed contract extensions, it was all done together. It was Michael Shea, Wade Miller and Kyle Walters all up there at the podium. And Michael Shea and Walters were getting contract extensions. That has not happened this time. O'Shea is now under contract for three more years. So if my math is right, that's through the 2025 season. Walters and his contract, it's up at the end of this season. He told me at the winter meetings that he's completely fine working through his contract, playing it out, but there has not been contract negotiations there with Walters to extend him. So that to me would show that there could be some sort of a change there in general management because Walters on the contract extension. You just got to look at the past and then realize now that they always used to be lined up or at least Walters had one extra year. And that's usually how you do things. But now I think the power has swung in O'Shea's favor mm-hmm. because you want to keep a guy like O'Shea, right? He's so revered by the players. And now with the football operations cap, if you want to keep O'Shea, in your building from a financial standpoint, maybe you got to take some money away from Walters to get that done. And Walters is going to sit there and say, well, hey, I've been the general manager of this team, built it up to the point where we've gone to three straight great cups and won two. I feel like I should be getting a raise. So it's kind of something similar to usually what happens with the players, but now in the front office. And O'Shea, there's there could be maybe down the line here that he could get some more GM duties in Winnipeg, eh? That's possible. I don't yeah. think it's something that O'Shea would necessarily want to do, mm-hmm. but what could happen is O'Shea gets the head coach and general manager dual role title, at least in title, yeah. right? But then he'll have other guys there that he really trusts, like a Teddy Govaya or Danny McManus that mm-hmm. perhaps still have the title of assistant general manager, but maybe they get bumped up in pay and they actually have more of that general manager role than O'Shea wants. He really likes to be a coach and he values culture and he wants to keep that relationship as it is with his players. So it's a way to get O'Shea paid more, give him control, but also he can delegate some of those GM responsibilities to guys that he trusts. Uh, You you did sit sit down with uh, the commissioner, Randy Ambrosi, during your winter meeting uh, trip out here to Kananaskis. You talked a whole bunch of other things. You talked uh, the expansion, want to get into that as well. Uh, As well, the the ownership situation surrounding the Montreal Alouettes. Obviously, Gary Stern had his little, uh, I'm going to step back a little bit last year, went off Twitter, came back. Uh, Obviously, the estate uh, of the previous owner still owns 75% of the team. 
uh, and Stearns just to 25% there. So what is Stearns' overall play here, and what, are the, what does the, the league want to do with the Owls? It's, just, it's every year with this team, it seems, like something up with the ownership. It really does seem that way. And I said to Commissioner Randy Ambrosi that this whole situation just seems really confusing. And based on his answer, it seems like the league wants nothing to do with Gary Stern. I think they'd like to rid themselves of Stern and get the ownership out of his hands, which is a possibility because Sid Spiegel's estate controls it with 75% Mm -hmm. of the ownership. And the estate is willing to back the Alouettes financially, but if they could find a local group in Montreal or perhaps Quebec that was really intrigued and wanted to run the Alouettes in a proper way, then I think that's something that would interest the estate. But I think overall, you know, probably in reality, the estate probably doesn't want to be owning the team anymore. This was really something that was spearheaded by Gary Stern. and I think his outspoken nature has not necessarily been the way that some of these other owners go about of things course. in the C- <laughs> CFL, so to speak, right? Usually the owners are very quiet. I mean, Amar Doman has been a little more outspoken in BC, which I actually really like, but it's he's done it in a more... Sure. He, and he's helped them, but he's done it when he's talked in the media in a, a more of a professional yeah. way, right? So I think that's the big issue there. They love Amar Doman in league circles and what he's done. He's put his money where his mouth is. But I think Stern has rubbed some people the wrong way. So, yes, we're talking about the Montreal Alouettes ownership situation. Again, it's not ideal. And I think there could be some interested local people there. Eric Point was very interested in putting a group together there in Montreal before Sid Spiegel and Gary Stern got the team. Mm -hmm. But I think him being so outspoken in the media, essentially calling out the commissioner and calling out the league, made him not as shiny as the league might have wanted him to be in terms of looking at him as the lead guy in an ownership group. So I think they need to find ideally one singular owner like in the Mardoman or a couple people that are really interested and line up with what they want. I don't necessarily think being outspoken is a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but it's not how a lot of these owners in the league like to operate. Uh, and then an, uh, the other one big part I want to get to with the, with the podcast was uh, the latest on the expansion. Now, uh, I know Rod Peterson tweeted it out earlier saying, like, I, I have kind of heard this in circles as well, that Halifax doesn't want the CFL. The CFL wants Halifax and that maybe Moncton might be a better option. What, where is the CFL on expansion right now? We know that the league would be just absolutely just perfect with 10 teams. You could get the season done, early Grey Cup, everything. Well, where are we at on this expansion? I, I saw like a proposal about maybe a floating stadium uh, perhaps out there uh, going around uh, different markets. So this goes back to Touchdown Atlantic this year. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to get a lot of time with Halifax Mayor Mike Savage in his beautiful office there in downtown Halifax that overlooks the downtown area and the harbor. It's, it's a great spot. And he essentially said to me that the CFL needs to play ball here on Halifax's terms, right? They're not going to build a mosaic stadium. They're not going to build an IG field mm-hmm. there in Halifax. They're not going to invest two, $300 million in a stadium. It's going to have to be something that is flexible and can be used for different types of sports. So 
Mayor Savage actually said, well, if the CFL wants to come here right now, they can play in the parking lot of the Micmac Mall, which is the biggest mall out there in Halifax. But I don't think that would be too good for player safety. Yeah. So <laughs> it was very clear to me that Savage, and he's very smart politically, obviously, right? He's the mayor of the city, mm-hmm. was saying that the CFL needs to view this stadium idea our way. And now posing that question to Ambrosi, I'd actually asked to talk to Ambrosi while we were out there and in you know, subsequent months about this, but didn't actually get him until I was in Cananasius Village. So I wanted to ask him about the stadium, and now they're open to this idea. So when I was talking to the mayor, they're looking at ways to make the, I believe it's called the common area, which is just above downtown in Halifax. It's a beautiful area, lots of green space. There's a bunch of baseball diamonds in there when I was walking through there. During the Touchdown Atlantic Week, there was a bunch of kids' games going on. The Halifax Wanderers of yeah. the Canadian Premier League have a temporary, permanent stadium that's set up there. It's temporary stands, but they're permanent in the fact that they stay there. Yeah. So if the CFL can understand that it's not going to be a stadium just for them. It needs to be a stadium that can be uh, transformed into other venues, like for soccer or for rugby, Mayor Savage mentioned. Or they're even almost more interested in getting a cricket pitch set up. Now that would be more for recreational Mm -hmm. matters, but it was something that he feels like the people in his city want. So I think the CFL has realized this. And the one thing that's not being talked about a ton is St. Mary's university and potentially a partnership coming together with St. Mary's the city of Halifax and the CFL around a football stadium, because they do have a nice venue there on campus. It is somewhat close to downtown and if they're going to renovate that stadium and you get, let's say, you know, 10,000 permanent seats in there and then there was a way to expand if you needed to go beyond that, I think that could be a possibility as well. So it's clear to me that at least the CFL's view has changed even from the summer when Touchdown Atlantic was out there and they realized that they have to play by the city of Halifax and, more specifically, Mayor Savage's way if they want to get a stadium out there. Otherwise, it's not going to happen in Halifax. It's got to be the way that the Halifax people and the mayor want it. Uh, one more from uh, me, Justin, here. Uh, XFL and USFL camps will be opening here up in the next, uh, I guess they're happening right now in the XFL a little bit, but are they going to be affecting CFL free agency at all, or is it just that the XFL guys are there and the CFL guys, they, they have their crew? You might see a few guys go mm-hmm. down there. That might be the guys that aren't going to get as highly paid in the CFL, yeah. but I don't think we're going to see any recognizable names in terms of stars go down and play in the XFL because they can actually make more money even after taxes up here. So I think the quarterback issue is one that should be talked about because those leagues, I think, and especially the XFL, could steal some quarterback talent from the CFL or steal some prospective quarterback talent in terms of guys that are on CFL neg list Mm -hmm. end up playing in the XFL. But both of those leagues, and this is not a shot at them because there's some people that like to think that I don't like to see other football leagues, but I think we all love football, but they got to show that they have staying power, well, exactly. right? It's one thing to talk about it and invest in it and you can, you know, have the rock behind it. That's all cool, well, and good, but you got to show that you have staying power, that you can make substantial revenue mm-hmm. to keep that league going. So let's see if the XFL and the USFL can do that before we start getting into the weeds about talent and how this affects the CFL. Justin, thank you very much, buddy. We'll uh, connect uh, around CFL free agency time. Take care, buddy. Sounds good, boys. Stay well. Thank you, too.
There you go, Justin Dunk, uh, CFL insider for Three Down Nation. Of course, uh, CFL free agency opens up on Valentine's Day. Uh, Stamps, uh, they have uh, a few free agents. Son Lemon is a is a notable free agency uh, free agent, I believe. Um, who else they got here? Yeah, yeah, Derek Dennis, uh, free agency uh, free agent as well. Uh, they had uh, Julian Good Jones, I believe, signed with the Philadelphia Eagles as well as uh, as part of his practice squad. Uh, practice squad. Uh, practice squad roster. Wow, practice squad. Uh, but yeah, uh, well, yeah, CFL free agency about a month away, and uh, interesting, of course, we need that. We need that team out in Atlantic Canada. Uh, one more segment to go here on the big show. We'll uh, get you some uh, post game audio from last night. Flames fell two one as they clo- closed out their five game road trip in Music City, and uh, we'll hear from uh, Greg Millen. He joined the boys earlier today. Talk a little goaltending and uh, what he's seen from the Flames as they get ready to take on the Colorado Avalanche. Tomorrow night down at the Dome. Uh, just wanted to mention this here. Uh, the Sportsnet 960 Beer League uh, broadcast is back. It'll be Thursday, February 2nd at the Mark and McPhail Center out at Winsport. The Whalers versus the Lushes uh, will be the participants outfitted in brand new sweaters. Thanks to, t- thanks to Tuxedo Source for Sports. Uh, doors will go at 630. Puck drop a little bit after 7. You'll uh, broadcast right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. George, Matt, and Pat Steinberg will have the call for you. If you cannot make it, Flames alumni and friend of the show, Brett Cron and Paul Cruz will serve as officials. Paul Cruz, former Flame as well. Uh, this event proudly sponsored by Wild Rose Brewery, uh, the home for the quality craft beer in Alberta. Find it at pubs, restaurants, and liquor stores around this great province and check out their tap room in the Southwest seven days a week. Again, replay Greg Millen and some Flames audio from last night. Uh, coming up next, Big Show rolls on. Sportsnet 960, the fan.